Tune in. Tune in. Tune in. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game podcast by Golf Saudi. Hello and welcome along to the Power of the Game podcast by Golf Saudi with myself, Robbie Greenfield. Today's special guest is a man with a unique insight into the game of golf and a treasure trove of fantastic anecdotes. Having spent three decades as a professional caddy, Kenny Harms has worked with some of the all-time greats of the game, including major champions of yesteryear, Hubert Green and Ray Floyd, among many others. His long-running partnership with Kevin Nahr has seen him transition to the fairways of Live Golf this year and also play an ambassadorial role for Golf Saudi. Kenny is a man who is not afraid to speak his mind, so without further ado, let's get into the conversation. It's brilliant to have you on the, the Power of the Game podcast with Golf Saudi, Kenny. You're the first caddy we've had the pleasure of hosting on the show. So um, first and foremost, thank you so much for, for doing this, and um, it's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I've been looking forward to this. There's so many questions for you. I want to get a sense of, of your career, which has, of course, been a long and storied one with some of the great legends from the game of golf, culminating, of course, with your longtime relationship with uh, the current uh, your current charge, your current partner, Kevin Nahr. So I'm really keen to sort of find out a little bit of your background because I know you started out as a wrestler, uh, and I'm keen to know how... That the transition from from that particular pursuit was made back in the day, um, ultimately, you know, ending up with you winding up on tour. Yeah. So, I, I mean, my dad uh, got my brother and I started in wrestling when we were, I think, seven and eight. And I was actually my brother was the eight year old. and I was a seven year old and I couldn't start until I was eight. Uh, so my dad signed me up for basketball uh, when I was seven years old. And I actually I never made it past the first quarter. I fell out of every quarter. And he's like. I think we got something here. This kid's going to be pretty good at wrestling. So um, I, I actually went. I actually went to all of the. I think it was like practices on Tuesday and Thursday. So I actually went there when I was seven years old, and we didn't have basketball meets and stuff like that. And just you know, I just fell in love with the, the competition of one on one, and and it's kind of golf is this similar. It's 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 one on one. It's you against the golf course. Um, so I wrestled all the way through college, uh, and then after college, really, there's there's really not much. You know, 30 years ago when I when I graduated, 30 33 years, it was 33 years ago when I graduated college. Uh, there's no professional wrestling other than the fake wrestling in the United States, um, and you can go the amateur aspect of it and go to the Olympics and stuff like that. But I actually wasn't that good. I actually trained with a lot of the Olympics when I wrestled at Fox Catcher for a year, but uh, I was kind of like their sparring partner with with boxing, as you know. They had partner so when I got done with college um, I was an assistant golf pro at the golf course uh, that we practiced at actually fast forward I didn't play I actually didn't play golf until college I met a friend um, that I became friends with in college and he was on the golf team so I started going out there with him and fell in love with it again you know it's it's an individual sport um, there's a team aspect to wrestling but it's you know you're wrestling against your opponents at the same weight class so um, so there's a lot of similarities to it. Um, you know, you got what you put into it. Wrestling, you got what you put into it. The harder you worked in golf, the better you got. So uh, when I graduated college, I became an assistant pro at the course, and uh, one of the members really took a liking to me there and, and actually offered me a job to work for him after being an assistant pro for a year if I didn't like being an assistant pro that I could go work for him. Um, but I fell in love with him, and, and he got me a job at the Palm Beach Polo Club down in West Palm Beach, 
for the winter time, and I wound up getting the only time I've ever had flu in my life was the week I was supposed to head down there, and it was Thanksgiving weekend here in the states, which you know obviously it's the only country that has Thanksgiving, uh, which is a big holiday and it's very crowded at the golf course. Well, I didn't make it down there till Sunday after the Thanksgiving was over, and they filled my position, so they had a job for me washing cars. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm okay. I really appreciate the offer, but you know, I got on the phone book that Monday morning, started calling all the clubs up, and there was no jobs. Um, so I was driving down the road, and I saw a sign for the PGA Tour. They had this tournament called the Sazali Classic, and it was two PGA Tour pros uh, mixed with two amateurs, and they played every day. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm being naive. I'm like, oh, well, I'll go see if I can pick up one of the pro caddies and caddy for them. Well, obviously, they were all taken, and I wound up getting an assistant, uh, one, of the, one of the amateurs. Well, I wound up meeting a guy that was caddying on the champ or the senior tour in the LPGA tour at the time, and we wound up getting a place together. And I actually started working caddying at this club um, for until the season started for the senior tour. So that was the that was in 1991. So it was January of 1991. I went out there with him to the senior tour at Key Biscayne and. He didn't get a job, so we jumped in the car and we went up to the LPGA event, which was up by uh, Wellington, uh, Florida. And he got the last job in the parking lot, and I was sitting there working the pro-ams and stuff. And I wound up meeting a lady that had forgot to sign up for the tournament, um, and I wound up working for her the next week. And we wound up finishing sixth or seventh, and she asked me to go to Hawaii for two weeks. And I called up my head pro because I was supposed to go back to my assistant's job at White Matter Country Club that following week, and I asked him if I could have one more week because the following week after the two in Hawaii was San Diego. So he's like, yeah, just promise me you're coming back. I said, I promise you I'm going to come back. <laughs> we finished second in San Diego, and I just made a check for like $2,600, and I'm like, man, I'm rich. You know, all the money in the world because I didn't have any money. I mean, it was literally working, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I was – when we were caddying at that club, we were making, we were the last man on the total pole. We were making $150 a week. We were getting you know, three days a week at $50 a bag. Uh, so it was like living on poverty. And you know, all of a sudden I've got this check for $2,500 and I kind of like called up my dad. I'm like, dad, you know, it's paid $2,500. He says, you know, I'm going to be making $350 a week as an assistant pro. He, he, he just gave me this great advice. He says, Kenny, you have the rest of your life to be a golf pro. He says, "Why don't you just do it for a year and see see the see the world?" You know. So, I asked uh, Lynn Conley was her name if I could continue caddying for her. She's like, "Yeah, I'd love to have you." So, um, four weeks later, I uh, it was pretty funny. I, I realized I really didn't like living in a hotel room, and I called up uh, Doug Hendricks, who was the head pro at White Manor Country Club, and asked him if I if I could still have my job. And he's like, "I'm sorry, Kenny, but I filled your position." And again, oh yeah, another position filled so um i continued caddying and you know here we are 31 years later Just, sorry i kept on going on but there no, had to be an end to it no well absolutely but it's it is but uh, listen kenny from to go from wrestling to caddying there was always going to be a story in there <laughs> yeah that's right that's right um but but uh it, it just shows that you know the the value of kind of persistence and and being willing to take a bit of a punt and and kind of mm -hmm. uh and actually to make contacts as well and and in this world because i think 
you know what what uh, you know I I as a golf fan and many golf fans listening to this perhaps don't understand is the importance of the relationship between the player and the caddy and and uh, and how vital that is to on course success and you hit the ground running straight off the bat you know you made a difference uh, straight away with with your charges which which obviously makes you get noticed and that opens doors for you and that would lead to future invitations from certain players and before you know it you're carrying a bag of of a big name and and if you kind of detail how that happened what 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 particular skill set was so effective for you when um, this was not something that you probably gave too much thought to as you got into the profession but clearly you had a gift for it yeah, I mean, I, I always, I mean, you know, I always go back to wrestling um, because at the end of the day, you know, it, you are who you are. And if you lost your match, you have to look in the mirror and say, well, why did I lose? Is it because I didn't work hard enough? Um, is it because I, I did, I'm not disciplined enough or was he better than me? How do I get better? Uh, and when I started catting, I mean, I was, I was as green as can be, you know, I, um, I kind of, when I first started, I didn't know that you were supposed to go and help the other caddies when their player was in the bunker and you had to, so it was a learning process for me, but, and, and to be honest, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'll be real honest that first year, I didn't look at it as a profession. I looked at it as going, seeing the world, using this to, to be places. And, and at the end of that year, I was, I was in Australia on the Gold Coast working for, uh, I was supposed to work for Jane Geddes and I got there and her caddy was there. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, well, Jane hired, it was this old caddy. Jane hired me back. So um, Jane hooked me up with this this lady named Mayumi Harashi and, uh, for the week. And she wound up giving me 500 bucks for the week for showing it. Cause you know, it's like $700 to fly down there. Um, but I worked for Mayumi and while I was down there, you know, it goes back to, you know, being at the right place at the right time. I, I wound up meeting Jan Stevenson, who was the sex symbol of the LPGA, uh, obviously a Hall of Famer now, has won three majors, 16 tournaments, and she asked me to work for her the following year because I was literally, I was, I was going to go back to an assistant pro. Uh, I had my fun for the year, and, um, you know, I, I learned a lot. I paid, you know, when I was doing it, I was giving it 100%, don't get me wrong, but I didn't realize it until I got the bag from Jan Stevenson that, that, this is something I could do for the rest of my life. What really defines the greatest caddies in the world? And, you know, if you look at them, you all look at the player that they work for. Let's be honest. Um, not many people know of the greatest, some of the greatest caddies that didn't have superstars that, that, that just didn't get that break that it takes to get the best players. But uh, all of them are very confident in what they do. Um, you know, they're not scared to be wrong. And I think that's one of the biggest attributes of, of caddying. You know, you, you look at the best caddies and you listen to them. You, you know, you listen to them, you know, with Tiger and Stevie Williams, with Bones and Phil Mickelson over the years and the, you know, the, the confrontations they had. And, um, I'm a person that I believe in standing my ground. And if I believe in something, I'm going to, you know, do everything I can to get, as Kevin Na would be the, my player now, to get him to make the right decision. Well, a couple of questions off the back of that then, uh, Kenny. I mean, Hubert Green, 29 titles, I think, on the PGA Tour, two-time major winner. I imagine when you had his bag, he was probably approaching the end of his career. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so he was a uh, 19-time winner on the PGA Tour. He obviously won, I think, 29 around the world. Uh, two-time major winner, Open, uh, US Open and PGA. Right. Hall of Famer. Uh, um, yes, he was... 40, 
47 when I met him. When you've got a guy who is kind of, you know, he's done it all in the game. He's won, you know, major championships at the highest level of the game. And at that point, you're a relatively inexperienced caddy. And yet you, you've just said there, which was really interesting, you, you believe in standing your ground. You know, you don't want to be a yes man. I would imagine that's the trap a lot of these guys fall into where they're a little bit overawed in the company that they're keeping and they ultimately end up being just a non-contributor because, mm-hmm. you know, they're, 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 they're probably too afraid to kind of stick their neck out and maybe disagree with a guy of the pedigree of Hubert Green. So can you recall an instance where... Maybe you kind of cut your cut your teeth or kind of earned your stripes, if you like, and and that was just a resolve that you always had going into it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I can, actually, I remember the whole. It, it was that first week I worked for him. We were playing uh, Las Vegas, TPC of Las Vegas. It was the six hole, which is a kind of a slight long little dog leg left, and there's a huge false front in the front of the of the green, and the pin was probably about seven on, kind of just tug at that right side and the whole right side goes down and you know it, it was a seven iron all day long and and you know hubert you know what do you think i'm like it's a perfect seven iron you got to hit it hard but it's a perfect seven iron and he he winds up hitting the shot and i i, I can tell from the second he hit it he didn't hit it, hit it solid and it comes up short and he looks at me and he starts saying something. I said, Hubert, come on, let's be honest. You didn't hit that song. <laughs> he looked at me and goes, yeah, you're right. Hand me the bag, hand me the club, put it back. And we started walking. And that's how the relationship started. I'm a firm believer in going, sticking to your guns. Uh, and, you know, and the, the, the beautiful part about Hubert was is I got the caddy. I got to pull every club. I would actually stop him in the middle of his swing if, if the wind had switched. Yeah, he, he like literally had 100% trust in me and I had 100% trust in him. We just had an amazing relationship. To the day he died, he was one of my best friends. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I, I was working for him, I think, four years on the, on the senior tour and I, and I was married to a, a girl that played on the LPJ named Emily Klein at the time. And I was really thinking about retiring and being out with her. I went to school for sports management. We were going to open up our own sports agency started the LPGA tour and then branch out and big. I had all of the letterheads made. I had the name picked out. I had it all picked out and I was going to do it for one more year with Hubert. And, uh, I, in, in December of that year, the year before it was going to be my last year. I got a phone call from Hale Earl offering me the job. And I, and I told Hale, I said, listen, Hale, I said, you know, Hubert Green has been, I'm not doing this over the phone. You're not playing the first two events. I said, let me talk to him in person. Give me two more weeks. And I'll let you know if, if I'll take the job or not. So the first day I get there and, and we're playing a practice round and Hubert gets into the clubhouse. And I just, I couldn't talk to him. I literally couldn't talk to him. So that night, Hale Irwin calls me up and he says, all right, what's the deal? He says, I, I promise you, I'll call you tomorrow night. So the next day, same thing. Hale is like got one foot in the clubhouse. I'm like, Hubert, I got to talk to you about something. I got a problem. He turns around, he looks at me. He's got this look on his face like he knows what's coming. And I, I think he, he thought I was, like, going to be done with caddying and be with Emily. He said, listen, this is, what's the problem? You can do it. I said, Hale Irwin just offered me the job. He says, Kenny, says, you don't take this job, you're fired. <laughs> he says, this guy's the best player in the world. I mean, I'm not even talking about the Champions Tour. This guy is one of the best players in the world right now. So, Kenny, you have to take the job. He says, but, but I'm going to tell you right now. I said, I don't know if you're going to really like caddying for you because – 
he doesn't let the caddies do much out there. He goes, you might not like it. So I'm going to, I'm not going to hire anybody for the first month. He says, we'll see how you like it. And if you, you, if not, then find me a caddy. Uh, so I wound up, you know, after a month, I said, Hubris says, you know, I'm not really doing that much, but I'm making three times what I was making through with you. He says, yeah, yeah, Kenny, I know what you're saying. So find me a caddy. So I got him a caddy and uh, we've been, you know, best friends. He would literally come to my house the week before the first tournament and practice at Lake Nona. And then we'd head down together for the first event. So, and then, you know, obviously eight great years with Hale. And, wow. Uh, I met, met Kevin. So, I mean, that's that's an amazing ride you've been on. And and obviously yeah, so, in, in, in that list, Kenny, I mean, some of the great ball strikers as well. Ray Floyd, yes. Hale Irwin, uh, yes. I'm reading Lee Trevino and, yes. uh, and Gary Player. A couple of questions on, on kind of the, the mindset of a champion golfer of that ilk and that caliber, because these are, these are not your regular player. Right. What, what sort of sets them apart? Is there something they all have in common? Are they all very different? I mean, you mentioned there, Hubert, you had a very um, kind of reciprocal and very sort of uh, involved kind of caddy player relationship, whereas Hale Irwin was a lot more distant, perhaps. But what, what did these players all have in common from a, from a competition point of view and a sort of psychological point of view? And um, I'd love to know who the, who the most impressive ball striker out of that, that list was. There's ball striking, there's putting, and then there's the mental side. Uh, and I put I put putting way ahead of uh, ball striking. To me, I'd much rather have a great putter than a great ball striker. The guy that can get the ball in the hole. Uh, I've seen so many great ball strikers that you know. You look at Tom Kite. You look at Tom Watson. They they came to the PGA Tour, they, the Senior Tour, when they turned 50. They were unbelievable ball strikers still, but they both had the yips. Both of them had the yips. Both of them had less than stellar careers for the careers that they had on the PGA tour. Um, and you look at it day in and day out, you look at how good Cam Smith. Yeah. At just the gonna championship say. this year and look how good Rory McIlroy hit the ball from T to green Rory. If Rory just putted a halfway decent, he shoots through 30 under par, but he made nothing all week and Cam not taking anything away from Cam's ball striking, but he won that tournament because of his putting. So, yeah, ball striking had, had to get him to that spot. But without the putting that he made, I mean, time after time, I mean, I just heard he made – he one-putted the last nine greens at TPC on Sunday. I didn't even realize that. Um, obviously, the Open Championship. So, I put it in mental putting ball striking. That player's yeah. championship was the best putting performance I've ever seen. That was the most unerring – putting performance I've ever seen any player and that includes Jordan Spieth in 2015 and Tiger Woods in in his pomp as well and I know Tiger went for a a lengthy spell where he essentially didn't miss from under six feet which is insane Um, but you're you're, I mean yeah you you would have first-hand knowledge of that and and I guess Mm. when you are when you're with a player who's just having a torrid time on the greens um, what 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 are you, are you saying anything at all to that player to try and kind of get them going to try and build some of that momentum or is that just a case of letting them figure it out? Well, I think you know, I I have two great as uh, my attributes of, of caddying and, and one is my mind and my other one is the ability of reading greens. I'm notably I'm not saying this, but I think I'm the best green reader on tour. Heber Green thought I was the best green reader on tour. That's the reason why Hale uh, hired me is to help him on the greens because he didn't need help anywhere else. It was green. He was a great green reader. 
But, and then Kevin, when I started working for Kevin, you know, I read every single putt and I've read every single putt for the last 14 years. Um, and we've been, we like this, this last uh, tournament, uh, Trump live golf uh, Bedminster at uh, Trump national. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he really didn't make anything that week. I mean, we didn't hit it good. We didn't do anything. We, we really, we've been struggling. Um, uh, he'll be fine. But I, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, Kev, you're hitting good putts. They're just, they're just not going in, you know, because when you get on greens that are extremely fast and there's a lot of slope to them, but then there's some that don't break. So you, you just have to stay patient. And that's, that's pretty much what I tell them every day. You just keep it nice and simple. Um, and don't make it, don't make it complicated because most people that play this game, you know, take a game that's very, keeping it simple and being successful to making it complicated. And, you know, you see it all the time with people changing their swings or changing the putter stroke. Why don't we go to, to Golf Saudi now? Because you are something of an ambassador for Golf Saudi. Can you kind of just detail how that role came about for us? So it all transpired at the Sony Open. So I've had a hack sponsorship for three years. And the funniest thing was last year, um, not 2000, but in 2021, we're at the Sony Open and uh, we played Kapalua the week, year, the week before. And I get a phone call on Tuesday, a text message on Tuesday from um, my friend Brian that works for Energic, which is my pet sponsor. And he says, hey, listen, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to be renewing you. And that, for three months, they told me they're going to renew me. So I said, hey, Brian, hey, I totally understand. I said, you know, COVID thing, I get it. Um, not a problem at all. Um, I really appreciate the last two years. Um, you know, if, if anything comes up, you know, I'll, I probably won't have my hat available, but you know, I'll have a shirt available. Well, Kevin wins the Sony Open, and I had my buddy's uh, financial hat on, but I still had the golf shirts on because I didn't have any of the golf shirts with me, and I wasn't going to go buy, so I just wore the golf shirts. Well, the owner saw it, and he's like, oh, my God, we got to get Kenny back on. So I got my hat sponsorship back. So – Fast forward to this year at the Sony Open again. Here I am, the same situation. And on Monday, I called up Brian. I said, Brian, I'm sorry. I said, but I'm working on something else. I said, you have till tomorrow to let me know. Tomorrow comes by. There's nothing, nothing from Brian. And Wednesday comes on, and we're over at the chipping green, and Kevin's chipping, and he, his, his, his agent, Jens Beck, from Pro Sports Management, called um, rang him so he went over to the side not to bother anybody he says hey kenny he says uh what's the deal with energic he says well um as far as i know the hat is open right now he says what do you think about golf saudi he says what does it entail and he says well you'll be an ambassador i said done i says amen i would love to be part of that so they worked out the arrangement and um uh we went to the Saudi Invitational that year, I met Michael and you know all the people there, and I was just pumped because I love starting at something like that is going to be as big as it's going to be big. Um, I think you know they're pumping a ton of money into golf in Saudi Arabia. They want to start a whole kids program, boys and girls. You're building another 20 golf courses over the next 20 something golf courses over the next 10 years. Uh, it's just fantastic to be a part of this. That's awesome. That's, that's great to hear, 
What sort of uh, role has this played as a kind of conversation starter with with people being curious and and people being intrigued by Saudi Arabia's kind of emergence in in the world of golf, if you like? Well, you know, you look at it in two two ways. I always look at it in a positive way. Um, I leave the negative people out. I don't like negative people in my life. I try to get surround myself with good people. Um, so I always look at the positives and um, uh, there's a lot of positives. The people that get it, that, that, that aren't, um, that I always use, they, don't, they can't get their head out of a box that they're in. They can't see a bigger picture. Uh, but most people get it. They, they understand what they're going to do for junior golfers in, in the kingdom, um, what they're going to do for the globalization of golf. I mean, they're pumping millions and some people say billions of dollars into the golf industry. And, you know, golf has been stagnant. I mean, I hate to say, you know, I just read over the numbers. Golf in America is down 5.9% in player ability. Uh, the numbers are going down. So, um, we need to do things that are going to make it better and to be a part of, you know, Gulf Saudi and, and the influence, influx of, of money that's going to be put into the game is, is nothing but a positive. I don't see how anybody else can see it. Not that way. Um, we're going, you know, obviously live golf is going to be played over eight different countries next year. Uh, the amount of people that we're going to be able to affect into bringing it into the game of golf is going to be, it's not going to. It's not going to be anything that the PG Tour has done. I mean, it's it's exciting. It's exciting for me to be a part of it. You know, be a part of you know live golf and 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 what what transpiring there and the amount of players that are coming over and you know we're just on the ground floor of this and it's you know, you don't get these opportunities but once in a lifetime to be part of it and. I'm part of it and I am so pumped. So I am like one of the biggest promoters, you know, my social media, you know, I have a lot of haters on there. Um, but I just say to him, I said, listen, I said, you're not, you're not looking at it the right way. I says, just give this thing time. I says, they're in it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And you know, a lot of people say, Oh, well, they're going after the PGA tour. I said, they're not going after the PGA tour. I said, it's 14 events. The PGA tour plays 46 events. I said, they're not going against any of the big invitationals. They're not going in. The PGA Tour is, is raging a war against Live Golf. It's, it's the exact opposite. The, the Live Golf is not banning any of the players from playing any PGA Tour events. Live Golf is not banning any of the players from playing the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup. This is coming from the other side. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an education. And I'm, I'm glad to be part of that education. And, and I am 100% in. Uh, and you know what, I, I've kind of, I, I used to answer all the haters, uh, and it's, it's fewer and fewer as time is going by. And I just said, be patient. I said, we're just in the ground floor. I said, this is nothing bad. This is going to improve golf. Golf is in a, a very good position right now. For the first time in the world, we have a monopoly that's going to be disrupted. Um, and competition is good. And I said this even to the players out there that were negative. I said, you don't understand. I said, you're living with your head inside of a box. I said, you're not going to. You watch what happens within the first year of the PGA Tour. You watch what happens with all their purses. I said, you, I guarantee you, they will go up faster than they've ever been before. And now they're, now they're, they're copying. They're copying Live Golf. Now they're getting eight tournaments with 50-man fields. They just took 120-man fields, all the invitationals down to 70. I said, you, you, we're seeing – 
a transformation of golf in a positive way. And I am excited to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about the Saudi Arabian grassroots investment in golf through Golf Saudi is the blank canvas aspect, Kenny. The fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, you've got established golf markets in the US predominantly, Europe, of course, and other parts of the Mm -hmm. world where... Mm Things have been done a certain way and, and the way the game has been introduced to people has existed for a long time and it's quite difficult to change such entrenched structures. Whereas with Saudi Arabia, you've got this blank canvas where a lot of people who are trying golf for the first time have no notion, there's no historical precedent as to as to how one takes the game up and how one plays the game. And I guess from that perspective, with different little strands of, of hooking people in, whether it be urban golf, whether it be shorter forms of the game, uh, just mm-hmm. trying to keep it more fun, more accessible, mm-hmm. less intimidating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been playing since I was a junior, as I'm sure have many people listening to this podcast in terms of, you know, it, it can be a difficult game to get into uh, if you don't operate in, in the sort of the right circles, if that makes sense. So opening the game up, right. making it more attractive, making it more appealing to a wider variety of people. Is that how you see the game evolving in the future to kind of to, to sort of retain its place as, uh, as one of the most popular sports on the planet? Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and I couldn't agree with more of what you're saying, Robbie. Um, they are there. There isn't really a budget for this because they're literally taking golf to another level in a country that, like you said, uh, what was there, like four golf courses five years ago? Um, and they're doing it, you know, to build, you know, children playing. I mean, they're doing it. My understanding is, is that, you know, it's going to be like a first tee program in the United States going to Saudi Arabia where a game that wasn't even played. So, you know, it's, it's like, like a new sport, you know, for them. Yeah. It's like the first time that a sport was like cricket was brought over and that cricket hasn't taken off. In the United States, but uh, you can look at rugby, you can look at soccer, you know, like soccer, soccer around the world is like the hugest. Well, this is where golf is in Saudi Arabia. It's just starting off and it's going to explode. I mean, I can tell you right now, when I played high school sports, I didn't play golf. Um, We didn't have a game called lacrosse in all of the high schools and uh, nobody played hockey. And now you look at it and all the high school teams have a lacrosse team all the high school teams have a hockey and this is going to be the same thing with golf in saudi arabia you know it takes time and it takes a lot of money but they're willing to do it because it's a, a sport that's going to be around these kids will be playing for the next 70 years of their life and then they teach their kids and that's how you grow the game um you don't grow it in, a, in, in an area that had golf here for the last hundred years you grow the game in, in areas where it hasn't been grown. And, and you look at Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia is just literally getting into golf, you know, within the last 10 years. I mean, I, I, my understanding is, is, you know, this has been in the works for oh, eight to 10 years. And, um, you know, now it's coming to fruition and, you know, and then being able to be a part of it, uh, that's exciting to me. Like I look forward to hopefully, you know, getting to go over there and, you know, building these junior programs and, um, you know, there's a different aspects to, you know, to golf. I mean, building caddy programs and, you know, you look at the caddies throughout the world, you know, in the United States, we have, um, 
we have a couple of programs where, you know, kids caddy and they get to go to college for free. Um, they have the Evan Scholar, uh, the beneficiary of the Evan Scholar was the BMW tournament. So, you know, they raised millions and millions and millions of dollars. They actually are just building a new uh, Evan Scholar at uh, Maryland University. So, you know, you look 20, 30, 40 years down the road, this is going to be Saudi Arabia you know, just starting. So this is going to be something that's going to grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, that's the way you grow the game. And they're doing it 100% the right way. Yeah, you mentioned caddy programs there, Kenny. And that, that that's certainly a different avenue you could go down. And I know something that they are, they're thinking about carefully because I don't believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't believe they've ever had a caddy come out of Saudi Arabia. And I don't think it's something that's particularly familiar to golf in the kingdom. How could they work in tandem with that drive to kind of, because I think what's admirable about, uh, about what Golf Saudi are doing is the fact that this is genuinely grassroots. It's really top to bottom. It's not just mm-hmm. a focus on professional golf. Yes, that's mm-hmm. a component of it. Yes, the elite mm-hmm. amateurs are a component of it, of course, as well. But this is all about mass participation at the end of the day. And um, what role right. does Ducati programs pl- play at the ground level, if you like, Kenny? Well, I, I think, you know, you can look at you know, different countries and, and, you know, you go over to Asia and mostly Asia has nothing but female caddies. You come to the States and you've got, you've got professional caddies that, that caddy in the wintertime in Florida and Arizona and stuff like that. And then they're up in the Northeast and stuff like that. And then you go to the smaller clubs, which have the Evans Scholars programs, which you have literally kids from elementary schools to middle schools, you know, and they start early where they're around all these affluent people. They are able to grow, you know, into the game of golf. They grow into listening to business. You, you know, they build relationships, and that's what a life is all about. And then the other aspect you can look at it is as an economical standpoint. You know, it's, it's another way of creating more jobs and creating, I would love to see, you know, I, I, I love going to a club, and I love getting one of the younger caddies. So I can go out there and I can kind of build a relationship with them, talking and then help them and, you know, get better at the game. Um, But I would love to see them encompass, you know, the caddies programs with the schools uh, and bring the younger kids into the into the game. And when you get them started at a younger age, instead of having these lifetime caddies where like if you go to Japan, you go to Korea, it's all. women from 18 to like 40 years old that are the caddies there and Thailand's the same way. I would love to see Saudi Arabia start with, with the kids because you're growing the game even faster because these kids will, they'll be able to play on Mondays or Tuesdays when the golf is, you know, when the, when the course is closed and give them that ability. Um, you start junior programs with, with, uh, within those clubs and they can be part of that as well. And that's the way I think, I would do it. Um, I would make it more of a stepping stone for the, for the game of golf and obviously, you know, start some type of um, scholarship program to bring these kids so that when they get out of, you know, junior high school and high school, they have the opportunity to go get a, a further education. Uh, education and, you know, you never know what they're going to I mean, these kids can, you know, you give them the ability you know, you, you might see doctors, you might see professional caddies, you might you might even get a couple of the best players in the world out of them. I yeah. mean, look at look at two of the best players in the world. They were caddies, Byron Nelson and Ben Hogan. Um, and I guarantee you, if you pulled 
the PGA Tour right now, I would bet you that probably 10% of those players had caddied once or twice or maybe even grew up caddying. I would, that's what I would build the program if, if, you know, if I have any say in, in, in it, and I hope I do, I mean, because I would love to be able to be part of that, you know, look at what they've done for the, for the women's game of golf. You know, we've got, I don't know the number of, of, of women that are sponsored by golf Saudi, but I've seen at least six or seven. Um, obviously they've had three years in a row tournament at, um, in Saudi Arabia, is that true? Or is yeah, it have to, and, well, have the, the Aramco Team Series, which which um, yes. has been really a huge, huge addition to the Ladies European Tour. I mean, um, right. and it, it follows a, I wouldn't say a carbon copy, but a similar idea to to live golf mm-hmm. with the team system and the the draft and and that kind of component. So it's very forward thinking. It's very modern, and um, you know we've seen them stage events not only in in Saudi Arabia at the Royal Greens Golf and Country Club, but also over in New York as well, in London, mm-hmm. I think at the Centurion as well. So that's mm-hmm. been a huge, huge help to the Ladies European Tour, which which is a tour that was was struggling financially for quite some period of time. Yeah, they've, they've, they've come a long way and, and, you know, it just shows you how dedicated, you know, Golf Saudi is and then that they're going after all, all aspects of the game, um, you know, starting with the program, with the junior programs, taking care of obviously one of the biggest sponsors in women's golf. Um, now starting, you know, with the live golf, which is just going to grow the game more and more. It's, it's, uh, it's really exciting to be a part of. I want to get your thoughts just very quickly, um, Kenny, on, on Royal Greens and, and the particular challenges of the course. What was your first impression of it when you and Kevin went over to play in the first Saudi inter- international that you guys competed in? And uh, what's the kind of, as a caddy, what's the strategy for the course, which is notoriously breezy, certainly in the afternoon as well? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised at how good the golf course was. Um, we... You know, Kevin played extremely well the first year there. Um, unfortunately, we had a really bad night on Saturday and Sunday. I, I think we were tied for the lead on Saturday and stumbled on the last six holes coming in. And um, But the golf course is challenging. And like you say, it seems like the wind picks up. And we had we had 25 to 30 mile an hour gusts this, this last year. Um, it's challenging. I mean, without the wind, you know, the, they're, they're going to tear the golf course up. But, you know, the, the golf course was built with, with wind in mind. And um, you get on that back stretch of those last four holes, uh, 15, 16. 16 is one of the most beautiful holes. I mean, you can say in the, war, I mean, in the world, I mean, the, 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 the water is just absolutely spectacular. And you look at the hole and you think, ah, you know, it's not that bad. But we actually made a triple um, two years ago without even a penalty shot on it. So it can bite you if you're not paying attention. We hit in the right bunker, left in the bunker, left in the bunker, got it out, three-putted. Maybe we walked away with a six and like, wow, how, what just happened? Uh, and then, you know, 17, you know, it's a total risk-reward hole that, you know, the Bombers were, were going for it on Sunday where Harold Varner wound up making. He wound up winning the tournament because he did go for it went up burning the hole and he eagled the last to, to win but it's a challenging golf course it's great setup it's in beautiful condition i mean i didn't know what to expect to be honest and it was um you know it's not a top 100 golf course in the world but it's it's fantastic it's fun to play 
Um, and like, like I said, the conditioning is, is fantastic. Uh, and then you got great risk, risk reward par fives, um, which challenge you. Um, but you definitely need to get off to a good start with that early tee time. Uh, you got to go low in the morning and then, you know, and that's when it starts picking up 20, 25 miles an hour, you know, you, you got to, you know, one or two under is going to be a decent score. It's going to be very intriguing when uh, the Live Golf Field ends up back at the Royal Greens Golf and Country Club. And on that note, um, just just to sort of wrap up this conversation, really, Kenny, I, I'd love to know your kind of impression, appraisal of um, of what the opening events on Live Golf have, have really meant for the players and, and yourself as a caddy, how you found it, how it's differed, if any, if, if at all, the events at Centurion, at Pumpkin Ridge and, and at Bedminster at the Trump Golf Club just uh, just recently um what would be your your overall take on on this this particular initiative and and how it's gone so far well i think it's gone unbelievable you know it's it's like it's a ground floor just starting you know we don't have the tv contracts in place yet so you can't look at the viewership numbers or anything like that but let's let's take a look at first the way that um that we are treated in caddies because you know I've been doing this for 30, 32 years, and I we've never been as a caddy. We've never been treated like a player, and that's exactly the way um, Live Golf has treated us. We are literally in with the players everywhere they go. We can go. We eat with the players. You don't. You can't do that on the PGA Tour. Um, there might be one or two events that allow that to happen, but uh, week in and week out. Um, you know, the way that they, they, just everything they do it from, from getting, you know, for the guys, I rank golf, uh, I rank cars in, 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 in the States. Uh, I don't rent when I'm overseas, but like when I got to London, there was a man waiting for me with my name, you know, took me to the hotel, checked in, everything is paid for breakfast in the morning. You know, they've got a bar set up for us with dinner and stuff like that at night. Um, Airfare is taken care of. I mean, they just didn't miss a beat. Uh, I think that's the best way of putting it. Wow. They treat us. They treat us like, you know, they treat us like we're we're we're, we're human beings. Uh, and I'm not saying the PGA Tour's come a long way, but they didn't learn from the PGA Tour. They learn from the way they treat players, and that's exactly the way they treat the caddies, um, which is a, such a breath of fresh air. Um, if we need anything, it's literally there. I needed extra tickets in um, New Jersey because that's where I was from. I had a whole bunch of friends and family show up, and and they were I, – I haven't – like my mom sent me this long email saying, oh, my God, this is the greatest. He said, this is going to be so huge. And my mom's 76 years old. You know, we got our tickets to the Club 54, the food, drinks. I mean, it was just – they had the best time. And Every one of my, like my two cousins are there. They're just out of college and they had all their buddies there. And, you know, they, they thoroughly enjoyed it. They, they're like, man, this formula is awesome. You know, we get there an hour, we watch everybody warm up at the same time. They're out on the golf course for four and a half hours. Everybody gets done at the same time. It's just, it's a, it's a fantastic formula. They got it spot on. I was, I was skeptical. I'll be the first one to admit it. I was skeptical of the shotgun start, but it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Four and a half hours. You got, you know, you, you got your two leader groups going off the first hole, and you got the guys that are closest to them on 18 and one and two. So everything is right there. Uh, if you want to follow a group, you can follow the group all the way around. Tickets were limited. Everything was sold out. Um, golf courses. 
uh, I, I don't think, you know, there's nothing different that I could say that they could do to make it better. I think it's going to just, just get a TV contract. I mean, it's that good. I mean, it's just phenomenal. We got, you know, I don't want to give numbers, but I'm just going to say, I think we got six to eight new guys coming out in Boston. Um, and, uh, it's, 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 it's so refreshing to have something new and exciting and be part of it from day one, uh, getting to the golf courses. I, I liked London, but the layout's good. Uh, the crowds were fantastic. Uh, so much energy there. Boston was the same, or, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, Portland. What a great golf course. They had a, a combination of the, of the two courses, phenomenal golf course. Um, the crowds were phenomenal. I, I, I remember being, we were on the 15th hole and our 16th was the last hole. And on, we got to 15 and all of a sudden there was just this huge roar. And we're looking around like, wait a minute, there's a, there's a cameraman up above him. So we yelled at him, what happened, what happened? Like even us, we were all excited because we hear, those were the crowd, I mean, you hear those roars at, at, at Augusta National. I mean, I don't remember ever hearing roars like that around a golf course. Um, and, and we're only talking eight to 10,000 people, but, you know, there were all, there's probably 6,000 of them following, you know, Brandon and Brandon Grace making another birdie to get a two shot lead. Um, so the energy level was, was phenomenal. And then Trump, um, Bedminster was such a great golf course. Obviously it's a big golf course. They were going to have a PGA championship there. Um, we didn't play well there. It was a long golf course, but it wasn't too long for us. Um, we just weren't on our game, but, you know, phenomenal condition, you know, anything that, that Trump does and the, you know, he's going to have an event at it. It's, it's going to be pretty good. Um, crowds were phenomenal. Uh, I, I had a little issue. I'm, I'm from New Jersey. So I understand the Jersey people were a little loud and obnoxious at times. Um, so I, I know, one of the guys started screaming right when Kevin was taking it back and it was just on the hole before that. And I said, guys, I ain't scared of any of you guys. So let's just be respectful. For um, yeah. So then yeah. on the next tee box, there's this bald guy that's all tatted up, and and he starts screaming at Kevin, and I turn around and I went right at him. And he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." I'm like, <laughs> I turn around and I walk back, and hey, we didn't have any more problems after that. So, um, but you know, we were brought up New Jersey and New York. We were brought up to be loud and obnoxious at sporting events. Unfortunately, that 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 culture up there yeah uh, you know it, it is and it, it's not that the fans were bad but that's the, you know there was probably the first time the guys a lot of people that were ever at, a, at an event and you know the thing is is live is we got music playing and stuff which is awesome um you know they had it didn't probably play in the first two tournaments where we actually had to turn the tournaments and it was like this is awesome because you don't hear people that are talking and stuff because the music is so it's like a steady noise which is brilliant. I would literally have them on every green and every tee box. It's just, this is better. It's better. And, and there's a reason why the PGA Tour is now copying it. Parts of it. Well, I think, uh, j j just to jump in there, Kenny, I think I think one of the things that, that I think a lot of people have realized and, and the, the sort of um, the brilliance of the live concept, if you like, is this 
this idea that um, you've got, and maybe you can maybe share some insight from the first three events, although I am aware that live is an ever-evolving concept and next season will look very different to this current season, which is more of, as Greg Norman said himself, a, a bit more of a startup, whereas the league will start to take a lot more of a semblance, a lot more of a structure next season. But when mm-hmm. you've got, from a fan's perspective, and I speak now as a fan, when you've got... Uh, events that you know the personnel you know exactly who's playing which players are in which teams and who Mm -hmm. is going to be playing and and that's Mm -hmm. set yes you've got relegation promotion but that is set on the pga tour and other tours you're finding out who who's in the field you know sometimes a few weeks in advance players have their own schedule that they're their own bosses they are independent contractors, as that's the word we've or the phrase we've been hearing a lot of in the last right. few months in golf. And right. I think in many ways that's a weakness for golf because that 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 doesn't help build a narrative, a sporting narrative where you know which guys are going to be turning out week in, week out. And I wonder from a from from your perspective of what you've experienced so far in the opening three live events, has that sort of narrative started to gain more of a, a head of steam? Well, yes. Um, you know, Greg Norman said that the first year we're, we're getting through things and obviously there's more players coming on board, which that's, so that's changing things. And, you know, things are just going to get better and better. I mean, it's not like they're going to go the other way. That's what, that's what the most exciting part of it is, is that, you know, we're going to tweak it to make it better. It's exciting. And, you know, I think that when they get the TV contracts in, when we get the the teams all situated because obviously that's evolving like you're saying it's evolving every week uh we we have uh we're going to have a different team we've had a different team for the first three we're not set yet there are teams that are set so that is going to be cool um obviously you know to play in miami you have to play in five events so we should have all the teams pretty much set there might be some jockeying the first couple weeks people changing and stuff uh, which will be interesting to see, you know, because we all want to win. I mean, we're not out there to finish second. We're not out there to finish third. You know, everybody goes, well, oh, it's, you know, 48. There's no BS. I said, we got, there's, there's things to play for. Everybody is grinding on that driving range. Everybody is learning that, that golf course. It's, it's, it's no, if you think that this is not a competition, you know, for those haters out there, you have no idea. We have two competitions going on board. We've got an individual and then we've got a team. And I am like so pumped because I'm excited because I don't know what next week brings. And that's why I want to get to Boston to see, all right, who's going to be on our team and who can we build to make it even better? And then when we get more guys coming in, you know, four or five new guys coming in who will probably join, you know, in um, 2024 or 2023. And then, you know, we'll see what happens because like Greg Norman says, we're evolving. You know, we're going to continue to get better. And that's the way you do. You evolve to get better, not to, to be complacent. So, um, and that's one of the things that excites me most about this is that they want to make it bigger and bigger and better and better and better. So that's what's going to happen. You know, live down, it's going to get bigger and better. And in terms of, you know, your, your camaraderie with not only the other players, but the other caddies within your team, Kenny, have you been kind of encouraged and and happy with how that's that's starting to build as well of course these things don't happen overnight you need to build relationships but do you Mm -hmm. see that as a particularly exciting part of what the future will hold for for live 
Well, I think it's brilliant because, you know, when you have 48-man fields, you're around these 48 guys all the time. You think about it. We're all in the locker room at the same time because we tee off at the same time. We're all having lunch together at the same time. The sponsorships that, that have the ability uh, for the people to be around these people and, um, you know, be on the range and, and you make relationships. I mean, I spent the first – I have never spent more than three minutes with Dustin Johnson. And it, it, Centurion, for breakfast, I spent 30 minutes with him talking about everything and not even about golf, just talking about everything in the world and, you know, what he does and, you know, family and everything else. So, you know, yeah, we're building relationships. We're actually getting to know players where, you know, on the PJ tour, it's totally different. Ben, I, I can't tell you, you know, I still get, I still used to go to an event. I'm like, who are these guys? They, and they play full time. I didn't even know who they were or their caddies because you're not around them. They're not building relationships. And that's the great thing is, is that everybody's happy. You know, everybody was so excited. Keith Holt had never won a tournament before. He's been caddying his whole life, and he wound up winning with Charles Schwartzer. I mean, this guy hadn't made, I'm telling you, in the last four years, I bet you he hasn't made $120,000. Wow. He came in, everybody went up to him. Every single caddy, everybody was happy. Everybody's happy for each other, you know, because it's, 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 yeah, it's like a family now. Because we're around these people day in and day out. We're together all the time. You know, the only times that maybe we're not together is during practice rounds. Because that's the beautiful thing is, is that you play a practice round in four hours, not six hours. You play a tournament in four and a half hours, not 16, six hours and 15 minutes like the Open Championship. I mean, that isn't the way you grow the game of golf. Well, that, that, uh, it's, that it's leads hard. me on to my question, actually. Just, just, Kenny, just, just because, look, I think we all as um as fans of the game we we want to see mm-hmm. the the ecosystem of golf the professional mm-hmm. kind of yep. world of golf harmonious at the end of the day and and there will have to be conversations you know in the future to to ensure that 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 ultimately happens we we don't want an event like the Ryder Cup to suffer as a result of no, uh, of these of these of these kind of disagreements live golf wants and the players want the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup, the majors, they want the PGA Tour to be successful. They want everything to be, they want the, the, the Asian Tour to be successful. They want all the tours to be successful. They're willing to sit at the table. Unfortunately, the other side isn't. And they're the ones, I mean, I, I'm sorry, you know, I looked at the money list, uh, the all-time money list to see how it, it evolves, you know, and I looked there and I'm like, Kevin, your, your name is not on the money list. They literally just wiped you off the history of the PGA Tour. I said, how do you do that? You've just erased the history. All of the people that resign are no longer on the all-time money list. But there are people that, that no longer play or that are still on it. Why would you erase history? So now you're taking one of the greatest golfing venues of all time, the Ryder Cup. Sit down. Work this out. Why haven't they sat down and worked this out yet? It doesn't make any sense to me. They, they want to grow the game. They, they think they're bigger than the game of golf. The RNA thinks they're bigger than the game of golf. PJ of America thinks they're bigger than the game of golf. PJ Tour thinks they're bigger than the game of golf. They're not doing what's best for the game of golf. If they were, they'd sit down and work this out. But now you've just erased Henrik Stenson's contributions to the Ryder Cup, Ian Poulter, Graham McDowell, Sergio Garcia and all of the ones that followed them and you just erased history to me that's not doing what's best for the game of golf 
and they're not doing it. They're not. Why haven't they sat down and worked this out? It makes zero sense because their monopoly is getting crushed. That's why. Do you see a happy resolution, Kenny? For, for, I don't know the... anymore. I, I, honestly, I thought there would be. I thought this would be done. I thought Henrik Stenson, I, I said to Henrik, I said, I, they're going to de definitely reinstate you. <laughs> Two days later, Luke Donald is now the captain, which I'm not saying any bad about Luke Donald. He's going to make a great captain. But why? Why is Henrik Stenson not the captain? Because he decided to go play another tour? What if he just resigned and not played anymore? He'd have still been the captain. If he wouldn't, he decided to go play the Japanese tour, he'd still been the captain. If he wouldn't, he played the Asian tour, he'd still been the captain. If he'd stopped playing the PGA tour and went and just played the DP World Tour, he'd still been the captain. But now, because he decided to go play another tour, that's also a competition of the PGA tour, they're going to ban him? That's, that's not what's best for the game of golf, in my, in my humble opinion. And I think they've missed the boat. I think they're literally, I think the sponsors are going to lose sponsors from the Ryder Cup. I think they're going to lose sponsors from the President's Cup. I think this is all going to backfire on them, to be honest. And I think down the road, might not be next year's Ryder Cup, but they're going to have to figure it out because you have to have the best players representing their countries. And that's no longer happening. Oh, there's a lot to be sought through, and, and, and it, it will, in the fullness of time, we'll, we'll get there, I'm sure. But um, uh, there's an exciting future, of course, for both yourself, for Kevin, and for, for Live Golf to concentrate on in the coming weeks and months, Kenny. And um, I must say, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you on this podcast. It's been... Right, uh, yeah, I enjoyed Kevin's you. Hopefully, we'll have to do it again after Kevin wins one of these last five events. Hey, I'll be keeping an eye. I'll be rooting for Kevin. And uh, I really appreciate the time you've spared, Kenny. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Robbie. I really appreciate it. Any way that I can grow the game of golf and be an ambassador for Golf Saudi and help out Live Golf, I'm 100% in. Well, that wraps things up for another episode of the Power of the Game podcast by Golf Saudi. A massive thank you to Kenny for sparing so much time to chat to us on all manner of topics on today's episode and sharing his insights accumulated over a 30-plus year career inside the ropes as a professional caddy for some of the biggest names in the game. We wish Kenny and, of course, Kevin Nahr all the success for the remainder of 2022 and into 2023 as well. You can subscribe to the podcast if you've enjoyed this episode. We really appreciate that, of course. And do look out for a future episode coming very soon. The Power of the Game podcast by Golf Saudi. More conversations, more guests on the way soon.